0: Listener Production. Hi, I'm Amy Dale and I'm not a lawyer. But since working at the Law Society, I've met and worked with plenty of them. And I've also met countless people who need help understanding the law and, more importantly, knowing how to find the right lawyer. That's why we've created this podcast, to help make the law accessible for you, for me, for everyone. No jargon, no law speak, I promise. I promise. Just me diving into the most common legal problems to help you make the best decisions possible. Welcome to Lawfully Explained. Phrases like going bankrupt can often be something that you would hear on a game of Monopoly. But for a lot of people, it can be something that impacts their lives forever. Expert Thomas Russell is here to take us through the do's and don'ts of bankruptcy. Thomas, welcome. Thanks. Just want to ask, first of all, Thomas... What does it mean to be bankrupt?
1: Basically, being bankrupt means that a person has incurred more debt than they can pay. They can't pay their bills, they've got creditors chasing them, and they don't have enough money to pay a liability that's become due. And in the olden days, if you found yourself in that position, you had no relief at all. The only thing you could do was try and avoid your creditors. If you couldn't avoid them, you'd end up in a debtor's prison.
0: Was that actually a jail that people went to?
1: Absolutely, yeah. And the length of their sentence was proportionate to the amount of debt that they hadn't repaid. Wow. What bankruptcy means is we've now got a system to deal with people who find themselves in that position where they've got nothing left and credit is hounding them.
0: How common is it for people to declare bankruptcy?
1: It's very common. Bankruptcy can arise for a number of different reasons, including people who have had difficulties in business, people who have spent more on their credit card they can afford to repay, people who have suffered a dreadful accident or misfortune. And Thousands of people go bankrupt every year. In, in years gone by, bankruptcy figures were typically around thirty-five to 40,000 Australians a year. In recent times, we've had a very strange combination of events with COVID-19, government relief, government departments being instructed to go easy on people because times are tough. And it's actually resulted counterintuitively in a dramatic fall in bankruptcy figures to the point where bankruptcy figures in recent years have been 10,000 and, and lower.
0: In a situation like the COVID-19 pandemic, and I know people would think walking around streets and seeing a lot of shuttered up businesses and things like that, but has that not actually borne out in the figures because of the government relief?
1: Yeah, basically there are a couple of reasons for it. First of all, there are things that the government has done that have artificially changed the market. And one of those things was extending the time for the process to make people bankrupt, which meant that people in severe financial distress were essentially given a bit of extra time by the government before creditors could force them into bankruptcy. And other things that have happened include the tax office, which is a major driver of personal bankruptcy, instructing its uh, debt collection offices to go easy on people for a bit. So you've got a, a lessening of pressure on the one side. And on the other side, we've had a lot of government relief. So we've had rent relief, which has been driven by the government, and we've had JobKeeper and JobSeeker. And as long as the government's paying you money and keeping your creditors at bay for you, then the main driving force to go bankrupt disappears for a bit. And it's not something people generally want to do.
0: When people come to see you, when they're on the verge of declaring bankruptcy, what are they like? What what sort of emotions are people going through at that point in time?
1: It's a really awesome question because what happens is people see bankruptcy as a kind of punishment for their failure. They think I've failed. I'm going to go bankrupt. Everything's a disaster. I'm going to lose everything. And if you look at the way life has been in the past, where if you have a debt, it's your debt for life and there's no relief from it. And if you don't pay it, as I say, you go to debtors prison. Bankruptcy is a system whereby instead of that, you have an opportunity at any time on your own initiative to draw a line in the sand and say, as at this moment, I'm going to take all my assets and all my debts and I'm going to put them all in this bag. We'll call it bankruptcy. Everything is going to go in there. And then I myself will be separate from that. I'll start a new life. And that's exactly the way the system works. There are a few nuances, but essentially if you become bankrupt, then you have an opportunity to take all of your debts and have them dealt with through the bankruptcy system. And you are then free to start again without being weighed down by all that debt.
0: I want to ask you a couple of questions around the legalities of processes that private companies or individuals might take if they are chasing someone for money. So I'm going to start with the top, bounty hunters. We've seen them on TV. Is it legal to send a bounty hunter on someone?
1: Yeah, so the answer is we don't really have bounty hunters in Australia because bounty hunters are typically people who have decided to go and try and catch a criminal and to bring that criminal to the police and basically perform a citizen's arrest and bring them before the courts. And so it's normally for criminals. But what we have is something quite similar in a sense in that we have people whose job it is to track down debtors who haven't paid their bills And to serve them with the relevant court documents in order to try and start off the court process to make them bankrupt or to require them to come before the court or to do something else. And we have those people in Australia, they're called mercantile agents or process servers or skip tracers. Okay. And it's
0: not as cool a name as Bounty Hunter. It's not as Hunter, cool. They don't
1: carry guns. <laughs> they they don't have the personas, unfortunately, of the Bounty Hunters that we have uh, on American TV shows. In fact, often they're exactly the opposite. You have a lot of women, uh, a lot of elderly people, because in a very important part of their job is to be able to de-escalate confrontation. So there's less likely to be a an incident if you're approached by a little old lady than if you're approached <laughs> by a massive guy with, called Wolf with tattoos and a gun Huge at his dog side. dog and... Exactly, all of those things. They're very good at tracking people down and finding them and serving them with court documents and lawyers like myself often use them. If, if we're trying to recover a debt for somebody and we need to track them down, quite often they don't want to be tracked down and we need to bring in someone who's good at doing it.
0: Is that also... I'm thinking what about through things like social media, are tools like that used in trying to find someone
1: That's a great question, and I'm sure they do, but it leads on to another point, and that's a really interesting point. Social media has now been used by the tax office and the revenue authorities to look up people who who they expect are not declaring all their taxes, to have a look at what they're doing, whether they're living a great life, whether they're on yachts, whether they're driving nice cars. And if what they see on social media (laughs) is different to what's being declared in the tax returns, then they confront the taxpayer with it and require them to explain it. Now, that's happening in Australia. It's one of the tax office's programs. And... Bankruptcy trustees do exactly the same thing. So when a person becomes bankrupt, somebody independent is appointed to administer their assets, make sure they've declared all their assets and handed them over. And quite often, particularly in a bankruptcy that's been initiated by creditors that the debtor doesn't want, has been trying to avoid, there's absolutely no cooperation with the bankruptcy trustee. So what you have is you have an accountant in their office with their staff trying to work out what assets this person has and where they are, and they can go on to Facebook or Instagram or TikTok, whatever the person might have and find out what car they're driving, where they live, what boat they're on, who they're visiting and so on.
0: If someone is being hounded by debt collectors and, and whether or not it's, it's the nice approach with a little old lady or it's starting to, to bring in heavies and, and someone a bit more intense, say I'm in that situation, what are my rights if a, if a debt collector starts coming after me?
1: So long story short, if you genuinely owe money to somebody and there's no dispute about the debt, for example, a credit card company or somebody else that you've incurred debt to, they're permitted to contact you and ask you for repayment, demand repayment, continue chasing you up and continue contacting you. With debt collection agencies, there are limits on what they can do in terms of what times of day they can ring you and how they can contact you. But effectively, they're allowed to try and chase you. They're creditors who are owed money they have a legitimate interest in contacting you and seeking to have their debt repaid. There are limits on what people can do. And if anybody is being harassed or if a, a step too far has been taken, then people have rights. But long story short, if you owe money, you can't stop people chasing you for it.
0: If that was happening to me and I thought, oh, I, don't, I can't deal with this debt collector anymore. I'm just going to block the number. And I I keep trying to find ways to to shut them down and, and stop them contacting me. I should say this isn't actually happening to me. Just in the interest of an example, could action be taken against me if I was trying to sort of deliberately obstruct someone from getting back money that I owed them?
1: So what will happen is you'll understand it's not uncommon for exactly that to happen. Ultimately, if anybody's serious about pursuing a debt, they'll eventually need to commence legal action. You go down to the courthouse, you file a statement of claim, you then have to serve the statement of claim on the person and that's the document that people try and avoid. When that happens, if you go off to the court and you explain to the court what's happened when you've tried to serve the statement of claim, for example, the door was slammed in my face, they wouldn't answer the phone, I sent emails but they weren't responded to, if you tell the judge that all of those things have happened, the judge will say, right, I'm going to make an order for substituted service I'm going to order that if you email the document to this address and send a text message to this phone number advising that you've emailed it to that address and advising that it's been posted to this address, then it will be deemed to have come to their attention and the statement of claim will be deemed to be served and your legal action will be underway.
0: And I can't then say, oh, I didn't know anything about this. You no can, one, but it no one won't one help se- you. No one, sent me, no one sent me anything. So what happens once someone declares bankruptcy? How does that process
1: work? There are two ways of going bankrupt. The first way is when you decide to go bankrupt yourself and you decide to make it happen, take the initiative. The technical term for that is a debtor's petition. You are the debtor and you are petitioning, asking to become bankrupt. And the alternative way to become bankrupt is if your creditors are hounding you and one of your creditors approaches the court and asks the court to declare you bankrupt. That's called a creditors' petition. Whether you present a debtor's petition or somebody else presents a creditors' petition and the court makes a bankruptcy order, which is known as a sequestration order. The process is exactly the same. Somebody external, a bankruptcy trustee, gets appointed to administer your bankruptcy.
0: Okay. So, if I want to have a debtor's petition, I would obviously need a lawyer for that?
1: No, not at all. And indeed, the whole process is designed for people, including consumers, just ordinary mums and dads, who don't have a lot of money to spend. And lawyers – Although we add value to absolutely everything we do, we're not always the cheapest people to deal with. And so in Australia, you can start your bankruptcy just by going to the AFSA website. AFSA is short for the Australian Financial Security Authority, and it's the government organisation that administers bankruptcies in Australia. They have an online form, and as you fill out the online form, they'll ask you an enormous amount of questions about your current position, and they'll also draw to your attention possible alternatives to bankruptcy.
0: If someone is thinking of going bankrupt, what would be some alternatives?
1: Basically, they fall into two categories. The first alternative to bankruptcy is to do a deal with your creditors and to get them to leave you alone in return for either a compromised amount, single lump sum payment, or maybe payment over time. It's just an arrangement between you and the creditor. And there's a more formal version of that type of arrangement. They're called personal insolvency agreements or debt agreements, And they work effectively the same way. Under that arrangement, you appoint a controlling trustee who's a bit like a bankruptcy trustee, and they go and have a look at all of your assets and see how you're going, and they predict what your bankruptcy would look like. And at the same time, you make a proposal to them. You'd say, I'd like you to make a proposal to my creditors on my behalf that I will sell my interest in this house and I will kick in this much money from my rich uncle who's going to help fund my debt agreement And all of that will go into the pot and they will get paid out of the pot and in return they will let me not go bankrupt. But the basic principle of both of these systems is you make a proposal to your creditors and then they vote on it. And what that means is that if there's one or two creditors that really hate you and they just want to see you go bankrupt because they think that'll teach you a lesson, but what you're proposing is in fact a better outcome for everybody than bankruptcy, then other creditors who are supportive can outvote the creditors who are against. And so you can end up in a repayment arrangement that some people object to, but they're forced to accept. They've become quite popular as a way of people dealing with their debt and avoiding bankruptcy.
0: After someone has gone bankrupt, what sort of changes could they expect in their day-to-day life?
1: So in their day-to-day life, there'll probably be very few changes. There are three main things that happen when you go bankrupt. The first thing and the most important thing and the most notorious aspect of bankruptcy is that in return for having all your debts wiped out, you lose all of your assets. So if you have a family home, you will lose your family home. There are a couple of exceptions. Bankrupts are allowed to keep uh, tools of trade if they have a trade up to the value of $3,800. They're allowed to keep a motor vehicle up to the value of $8,150. And these things are designed to enable people to live a reasonable life. But effectively, on the day you become bankrupt, anything that you own at that day goes into the bankruptcy bag, belongs to the bankruptcy trustee. Even if they don't find out about it on the day, even if they don't find out about it until 10 years later, anything that is your property on the day of your bankruptcy is forfeited and that goes to form the pool of funds that all your creditors share in. The second aspect of bankruptcy is you come under the control of your bankruptcy trustee for three years. That's the standard period. If you misbehave, it can be extended. But if you comply with your bankruptcy trustee, then you're bankrupt for three years. Now, during that period, if you obtain any more property, for example, if you have a winning or if you inherit money from a from a relative, if you come into money in any way, within that three years, that money will then go to your bankruptcy bag as well. And the third and final notable aspect of bankruptcy is if you earn income, you have to give some of your income a bankruptcy trustee but of course we don't want people living off welfare and so you don't have to give up all of your income and uh, AFSA the government organization that runs bankruptcies every year publishes figures for the amount of income you're allowed to keep this year is for somebody who has no dependents it's sixty thousand five hundred and fifteen dollars after tax so anything you earn up to that you're allowed to keep can it keep that. that's yours if you earn a hundred thousand dollars so you're forty grand above the threshold then 50 cents in the dollar goes to your bankruptcy trustee. So, you would get to keep 80. You'd have to give 20 to your bankruptcy trustee. That occurs for three years. But if you misbehave and your bankruptcy gets extended, it keeps on occurring until you're discharged from bankruptcy.
0: But if you do behave for the three years, then at that three-year mark, no matter how much you may have paid over through contributions of things that you've earned or you've inherited, after three years, that's it. It's it's clean slate.
1: It's out. And, and, and it's a clean slate in the sense that your debts are wiped out. There are a couple of exceptions. Certain debts aren't wiped out, uh, including court fines and child support debts. But generally speaking, all of your debts are wiped out, with a few exceptions, by your bankruptcy. At the end of the three years, having forfeited all of your assets on day one and forfeited anything that you've gained in those three years as you've gained it and given up any part of your income, that's the price you pay. And in return you get all of your debts wiped out. The only thing that's left over really is unfortunately an almost indelible stain on your credit record.
0: When you say if you've been good, this only goes for three years, but it can be extended to, you know, seven years or a longer period, what does being good or being bad look like?
1: So generally speaking, being good means that when your bankruptcy trustee asks you for cooperation or help in some way, you do what they ask you to do. Uh, Generally speaking, bankruptcy trustees are very professional they know the law and they don't make unreasonable requests now most of it is to do with assets and information and if the bankrupt doesn't cooperate with that request of course it causes a problem for the bankruptcy trustee they can't investigate and so they might say this bankrupt is being uncooperative I'm going to object to their discharge from bankruptcy and if they lodge an objection to discharge because of that type of misbehavior or lack of cooperation then the bankruptcy will continue until the objections withdrawn Another good example is if the bankrupt goes overseas without permission and earns income overseas and doesn't declare it. If you are a bankrupt person and are allowed to travel overseas without permission, but that process is there, if it's not faithfully followed, it can be part of a pattern of bad behaviour and non-cooperation that leads to an objection to discharge going in.
0: In an instance with the car, so say, I think you said it was about eight and a half grand, roughly? Yeah,
1: 8,150.
0: Okay, close. If you owned a car that was about worth, say, $15,000, Would you have to sell that car and then could you then buy another car that did meet that $8,150 limit?
1: Uh, That would be the technically correct answer. Another situation that might develop is that your bankruptcy trustee might say, you've got a $15,000 car, you're only allowed an $8,000 car. If you want the continued use of this car and you want me to refrain from taking steps to realise it, you're going to have to pay me $7,000 um, because otherwise, there's an unrealized asset there that I should be realizing for the benefit of creditors. It's not the technically correct approach, but it's a it's an approach that uh, results in the same result for all of the parties concerned.
0: The value is staying the same, but you've also but you get to keep the car that you drive every day. Yeah. Even the course of the three years, and you're making payments based on if you're earning over the the threshold. Are there ever instances where the money that someone is paying into that pot? exceeds their original debt?
1: Yeah, so it absolutely does happen. It's quite unusual because obviously the reason somebody's gone bankrupt is because not only do they not have enough money to pay their bills, but they don't expect that position to be cured anytime soon. But there are three major situations where it might turn out that the person does in fact have enough money to pay all the bills. The first is if you have a windfall, like an inheritance or something like that, you might end up with a large amount of money in your bankrupt estate. Mm,
0: That you weren't expecting.
1: Exactly, spot on. And that might be enough to pay all your creditors out. Second thing that could happen is one of your creditors could cease to become a creditor. So, for example, you might have been involved in a court case, you might lose the court case, you might then win on appeal. And so the financial situation then changes. And the third example is if you're a crook and you have significant assets but you've hidden them and you've hidden them from your bankruptcy trustee and you've told creditors they're not yours, but your bankruptcy trustee discovers they are in fact yours and recovers the assets that you've been trying to hide, then your evil plan to hide all of your assets from creditors will have been thwarted and the assets will be sold and your creditors will be paid with the proceeds, which is what's meant to happen. Now, when all of the creditors are paid in full, your bankruptcy comes to an end just like that automatically upon payment in full of all your creditors, But it's quite an unusual event because ordinarily it won't happen because of an inheritance or a windfall. Unfortunately, those things are quite rare. If it does happen, it's often because of an asset recovery or a legal action.
0: What happens if you get someone who the day before they declare bankruptcy just cheekily hands off their assets to a bunch of people who they really like?
1: Well, the bankruptcy system would obviously completely fall apart if you could get all of your assets, the assets that are destined to pay your creditors and just give them to your mates and shell them around before you go (laughs) bankrupt. And so there are effectively three ways that bankruptcy trustees can attack those things. If you sell an asset in order to defeat creditors or give it away, then the bankruptcy trustee can claw it back and can demand that the person you gave it to give it back on the basis that the purpose of the transfer was to defeat creditors' claims. Similarly, if you have something that's worth a hundred thousand, but you sell it to a mate for fifty thousand, then the fact that it was sold at an undervalue can be challenged, and so the bankruptcy trustee could then go off to your mate and say, "You got a hundred thousand dollar asset. You only paid fifty for it. Give me another fifty, or I'm going to cancel the transaction <laughs> and claw the asset back again." It's like I'm just
0: a good bargainer.
1: Spot-, <laughs> Spot. Well, sometimes that happens. Sometimes people, a bankruptcy trustee, will go off to somebody and say, "You got a hundred thousand dollar asset for 50000 thousand." And the person will say, "I didn't know this bloke. I just I realised that he <laughs> needed to sell quickly or wanted to sell quickly, and I made him an offer, and that's where we landed up." And sometimes that'll be true.
0: There are many people on Gumtree who would be brilliant at doing that. <laughs> like, uh, it's worth twenty dollars.
1: And and the the other situation that crops up is when you have some creditors you like and some you don't. That happens all the time. People go bankrupt. They've had a business that's been running for a while. They've borrowed money from Uncle Bob and they've borrowed money from Auntie Jane, and in the end they still go broke. And what they do is at the end, they've got money owing to Uncle Bob, they've got money owing to Auntie Jane, they've got a heap of money owing to the ATO, and they've got a bank account with 100 grand in it. And it all goes to Uncle Bob and Auntie Jane, none goes to the ATO. And the whole principle of bankruptcy is creditors are meant to get treated fairly and equally between themselves. And so if you give all the assets to somebody else before you go broke, the bankruptcy trustee can actually unwind that and redistribute the assets. The bankruptcy trustee will go off to your uncle and your auntie and say, you have received unfair preference in this bankruptcy, pay back the money, I want to redistribute it equitably to everybody, which often means a large part of it goes to the bankruptcy trustee's fees.
0: Gosh, and irritates a lot of people in the process who probably thought they'd gotten quite a good good bargain or quite a nice little sum. Well, one
1: of the keys to it is if you have a feeling that somebody might be going broke, you never ask them because it's a complete defence to an unfair preference claim if you received the payment in good faith and you had no idea the person was in financial distress. And so as long as... Shut up and take the money. Shut up and take the money. Spot on. That's the mantra.
0: I'm having visions and thoughts of, you know, people actually shoving things in in cupboards or things like that. But do you have any examples of people who have gone to very dramatic lengths to to hide or, or quickly, you know, pass an asset off to someone?
1: I had one of my clients go bankrupt once and... When a person goes bankrupt, there are things he or she knows cannot be hidden, like the fact that there is a house in the person's name. And so it was agreed between the bankruptcy trustee and the bankrupt that the house would be sold and the proceeds of sale would go to the bankruptcy trustee. And before that had happened, the bankruptcy trustee had come to the bankrupt's home, had to wander around, had to look, made sure he didn't have any Van Gogh paintings on the wall or (laughs) Ferrari in the garage or anything else that indicated wealth. And he found he had a wine cellar, but happily, the wine cellar just had a few bottles of, you know, reasonably inexpensive wine and... um,
0: Mid-tier bottle shop.
1: (laughs) Precisely. And so, the bankruptcy trustee had made a commercial decision that it wasn't going to be worth selling that wine in order to try and pay back creditors because the costs of organizing an auction and removal and all of those things would have been too high. Anyway, the bankrupt then does what he's promised to do. He engages a local real estate agent and wants to control the sale himself to make sure he gets the best price for his home. He doesn't want anyone to realise that he's bankrupt and it's a distressed sale. The bankruptcy trustee eventually comes across this listing online and lo and behold, the wine cellar is about three times as full as it had been when the (laughs) bankruptcy trustee visited and there are visibly bottles of Penfolds and other very high-end wines, things wrapped in paper and a completely different seller selection than had been <laughs> present when the bankruptcy trustee visited the premises. So what this resulted in was an unannounced surprise follow-up visit and an audit which resulted in a large number of other bottles of wine being identified, <laughs> which, uh, if I recall correctly, the bankrupt's wife made an offer to purchase them from the bankruptcy trustee and a deal was done and some money-changed hands and the wrong
0: was <laughs> A lot of expensive wrong wine righted. enjoyed.
1: Exactly. The hiding of assets is one of the most exciting parts of bankruptcy, and one of the most fun <laughs> things you can do as a lawyer is go down to court and get a warrant to uh, enter premises and seize property. And that's when you get to be like the cool lawyer that you've been, <laughs> you've been telling people your whole career. That you were promised on what, your first day when of people law People ask what you do. You say, "Oh, this is what I do," and it's just terrific fun. It's far more exciting than sitting behind a computer and a keyboard. But unfortunately, it doesn't happen very often. <laughs> it's the one,
0: the one exciting day. In a series of paper days. Exactly. I wanted to ask about credit scores, and I'm not sure if this is, again, something that's sort of appropriated from American and other pop culture references. Do we have credit scores in Australia?
1: Yes, we do. The credit scores in Australia are not a government matter and they're not very heavily regulated. And so the way the market has developed, we have three significantly sized organisations all of which are private organisations which keep data about people, which they accumulate from a variety of sources, including bankruptcy records and records of court filings and court outcomes. And that data that they collect is known as a person's credit record. Um, But ultimately, if you become bankrupt, then any creditor who accesses your credit record by subscribing to one of these three organisations will very quickly see that you have become bankrupt. And so, it's a very publicly available system of bankruptcy and default recording.
0: Can I apply for a credit card in Australia if I've been declared bankrupt?
1: So, the answer is you can certainly apply for a credit card. If you are applying for any type of credit when you're bankrupt, you have to disclose your bankrupt status. If the amount of credit you're applying for is over about $6,000, you're required by law to disclose I'm a bankrupt – You're also required not to behave in a misleading or deceptive way or to make false statements when applying for credit. And there wouldn't be a single credit application form in the country that doesn't ask, are you or have you been a bankrupt? And so you're not allowed to lie. You're permitted to apply for credit, but you'll generally be refused credit if you're a bankrupt or if you're a recently discharged bankrupt, unless it's perceived that you're not much of a credit risk.
0: I know when you talked about the the three-year rule, Is there ever a point in time where someone would no longer have to declare that they had ever been bankrupt if 20 years had gone by?
1: Sure. So if you have been discharged from bankruptcy, then the law requiring you to disclose your bankrupt status to people no longer applies. And so you don't have to tell anybody, but you can't lie. If you make a false statement in connection with an application for credit, that's an offence. And so there is no time at all where if you have become a bankrupt and somebody says in the course of a credit application, have you ever been bankrupt, you can never lie. So you have to tell them that you have. And it's a criminal offence provision, so it's a a serious matter. With your credit record, the way that credit recording companies operate, my understanding is that after seven years, they remove defaults and other things recorded against the credit record. But they're private organisations, so there's no act or regulation that sets out exactly what they have to do. One of the most serious consequences of becoming bankrupt is the, the fact that you have been bankrupt is something that will pop its head up every now and then in your day-to-day life. If you apply for a credit card or apply for a mobile phone contract or car finance, it could result in you being declined finance or not being able to get the terms you want.
0: Thomas, in your job, this is, this is what, you, what you do and you, you spend a lot of time and, and give a lot of advice to people who have experienced bankruptcy. What is the number one piece of, of advice that you, you give people that are going through this process?
1: You take everything on a case-by-case basis. One of the reasons that anybody would go and see an expert is so that they can have that person's expertise brought to bear on their specific circumstances. But one thing I find myself constantly reassuring people is that going bankrupt is not something they're going to regret. Because when people come and see me, they're incredibly stressed and they feel like they're failures and they feel like the world's going to end and the bankruptcy for them is something they can't they just cannot confront it it's a terrifying prospect and what i say to them quite truthfully is i've assisted hundreds of people through bankruptcies over the years and when they become bankrupt it's a huge weight off their shoulders because first of all they've done something about the problem that's been keeping them up at night and in fact they've solved it and second They don't have to be terrified every time they hear a knock at the door or open an envelope in the mail. It doesn't matter if it's an overdue bill or if it's a debt collector coming, they can say, I'm bankrupt now. You go and talk to my bankruptcy trustee about that. I can't deal with that anymore. I don't have to deal with that anymore. That's now my bankruptcy trustee's problem. This terror of opening correspondence, answering the phone and so on, and this fear of failure really wears people down. And in reality, the impact that bankruptcy has on their day-to-day life is often incredibly minimal. They have to fill out some forms on day one. They have a black mark on their credit record that they have to deal with every now and then when they're applying for credit. They lose assets, but the assets that they lose are worth much less than the debts that they're losing. That's really it. And I've never come across a single person who has gone bankrupt and has said, I wish I'd never gone bankrupt. I wish I'd struggled on somehow and tried to pay pay off this insurmountable mountain of debt over the next 20 years of my life. It's a wonderful relief for people who are in financial stress, and it needs to be thought of as a relief.
0: It's also very reassuring to listen to you as well about it, because as you said, it feels like something that when someone's carrying it and carrying it alone, it feels like the absolute end of the world.
1: Well, people, of course, it's fear of the unknown. Uh, Bankruptcy is a very legal process, and it's a complicated process. And if people are not familiar with something and they've never been through it before and they've never seen it in operation before, of course, you can understand why it's very daunting and very terrifying. I know that if I have to go in for a surgery, I'm far more anxious about it than the surgeon. I mean, ideally, I'm far (laughs) more anxious about it than the surgeon.
0: (laughs) It's a worry Um, if they look very, very nervous. for, for,
1: For me, it's the only appendix I've had removed, but for him, it's the fifth one he's done that day. And It's the same with bankruptcy. I can quite understand why people would be very anxious about it. It's a big thing. It's cloaked with all of the formalities of legal processes. You get warned at the start of it that if you lie, you might go to prison and all of those things. But the reality is what you're doing is putting behind you all of the things that have been causing you the stress, making them not your problem anymore, and in return for that, you're paying a price. And on any commercial analysis, the price is always well worth it because you're putting in less than what you're getting out
0: Well, Thomas, for something that I think for many people would feel like one of the worst things that could ever happen to them, you certainly have been very reassuring about what that process may actually look like. So, thank you so much. I will not take my advice from Monopoly about bankruptcy anymore. I would go to you.
1: Brilliant. Good to hear.
0: What you heard in today's episode is not intended as a substitute for legal advice from a qualified professional. I'm not even a lawyer, remember? So if you are looking for legal advice based on your individual circumstances, head to lawfullyexplained.com.au and find the solicitor who is right for you. Lawfully Explained is a listener production in partnership with the Law Society of New South Wales, hosted by me, Amy Dale. Production by Emily Taccato, audio production by Mitch Calladine and executive producer is Todd Stevens. Listener.